Welcome to the Shift Gold Friday Gold Wrap, your overview of this week's precious metals news. It's Friday, April 1st. I'm your host, Mike Meharry. Thanks for tuning in. Happy April Fool's Day. You know, this is the day that everybody gets to act like politicians. You know, they make up lies to trick people and run around and act like fools. Um, so, yeah, good times. I've got one for you in the spirit of the holiday. Inflation is Putin's fault. April Fool's. So, here's one thing for sure. Inflation doesn't seem to be going anywhere. Yesterday, we got the most recent personal consumption expenditure data. This is the Fed's favorite inflation metric. It's the favorite because it understates inflation the most. The PCE was up 6.4%. The core PCE, and this is really the Fed's favorite number because it strips out the more volatile gas and food prices, that was up 5.4%. And this was February data. So again, mostly before we saw the big spike in oil after the Russian invasion of Ukraine. So you definitely can't blame these PCE numbers on Putin. Next month, eh, yeah, they'll it'll be a little more plausible. Um, still wrong, but at least more plausible. Um, of course, you know you don't need me feeding you data to know that inflation is a big problem. Rising prices are a big problem. If you buy things, you know this is having a huge impact on the average American. Well, how huge? Bloomberg Economics ran some numbers and determined that the average household in the United States will spend an extra $5,200 this year compared to last year on the same basket of goods. This averages out to about $433 per month. Bloomberg accurately described this as an inflation tax. So, you know, I hope you enjoyed your stimmy checks last year and the year before because you're paying for it now. Now, an increase in wages will help cushion this blow a bit, but as I've mentioned before, wages aren't increasing nearly as fast as prices. Adjusted for inflation, real incomes were down 7.5% on an annual basis uh, based on the most recent data. So, you know, in a nutshell, you're paying more and you're getting less. You haven't heard about it as much lately, but for a while there, there was this narrative going around that inflation is good for you. I don't know about you, but it's not good for me to pay more for everything. But here we are. Damn that Putin or Rona or the stupid greedy corporations or supply chains or, you know, have I missed any of the excuses that the powers that be have made for the inflation problem? You know, Here's an issue. Almost nobody really understands inflation. We throw the word around a lot. I mean, you can't turn on the news right now without hearing the word inflation. In fact, uh, I saw a poll recently that said that's the most uh, pressing issue for the majority of Americans is inflation. But you know, most people don't really understand what inflation is. And the reason they don't understand what inflation is is because we've had this, this change in the meaning of the word and it really obscures, it throws up this big smoke screen. And of course, you know, this is important, uh, not important. Well, it is important, uh, but it's on purpose. The government has done a switcheroo that lets them put the blame for rising prices on anything but the real 
culprits, and that's them. And of course, it also allows these politicians to plausibly propose really dumb solutions to the problem. Uh, A friend of mine shared a quote from economist Ludwig von Mises that really underscores this problem. I'm going to read you. It's a a lengthy quote, but this this really encapsulates what's going on. Quote, inflation, as the term was always used everywhere, means increasing the quantity of money and banknotes in circulation and the quantity of bank deposits subject to check. But people today use the term inflation to refer to the phenomenon that is an inevitable consequence of inflation, that is, the tendency of all prices and wages to rise. The results of this deplorable confusion is that there is no term left to signify the cause of this rise in prices and wages. There is no longer any word available to signify the phenomenon that has been, up to now, called inflation. As you cannot talk about something that has no name, you cannot fight it. Those who pretend to fight inflation are, in fact, only fighting what is the inevitable consequence of inflation rising prices. So, you know, words mean things, and the meaning of words is important. That is why the government always wants to control language. When we use the word inflation today, we almost always mean the symptom of inflation, rising prices. I mean, heck, I do it too. I think I've probably done it already in this podcast. It is so ingrained in the vernacular to describe rising prices as inflation. It's hard not to. So, we call a symptom, the root problem. But every symptom has a cause, right? The cause of rising prices is inflation, an increase in the money supply. But we don't have a word for that anymore. So the notion that money creation causes inflation has basically faded from memory. And of course, that's very, very convenient for governments and politicians who need to create inflation. They need money creation in order to uh, subsidize their borrow and spend policies and you know give away free goodies to everybody. And now they don't really have to take the blame. They're not causing the problem. It's just rising prices. But who does this? Who causes prices to rise? Who creates the inflation? Who actually causes the problem? Not Putin or pandemics. It's the Federal Reserve in tandem with the government. The Fed creates money. The government spends it into circulation or just hands it out. But as Mises pointed out, when you define the symptom as the problem, there is really no way to define the problem itself. So we live in this world where prices just magically rise and politicians make all kinds of excuses while continuing the same policy, inflation, that causes the prices to rise to begin with. The general public is left to believe that rising prices are just, I guess, the result of some kind of voodoo. So government can do its own voodoo, wave some chicken bones and feathers around, and prices will magically go down. You know, and, and of course, these same politicians who are creating the inflation that is making prices rise, they want to be the heroes. So they come up with all kinds of ways to make you feel better. One of the ideas getting a lot of play right now is to hand out money so people can pay for higher gas prices. One plan is for Uncle Sam to hand out 100 bucks a month so we can afford the expensive gas. So how would the federal government come up with the money for this scheme? It would borrow it, of course, because it ain't got no money. So a bigger budget deficit that will ultimately have to be monetized by the Fed. 
The central bank will have to print the money so that the government can pay for this harebrained scheme. This is inflation. So the government is literally proposing to create more inflation to fight the symptom of inflation, rising prices. It would be like me sticking you in a hot shower to fight a fever and, and telling you it's going to make you better. It's ridiculous, but again, we have this, this change in language, this change in meaning of words that really obscures what's actually going on from the average person. But don't worry, you'll be fine. Meanwhile, there are some disturbing signals out there in the economy. For one thing, the bond market is flashing a great big recession warning sign. We've seen a number of inversions in the Treasury bond yield curve over the last couple of weeks. Now, typically, longer-term bonds offer a higher yield. So if you buy a 10-year Treasury, you'll get a higher interest rate than if you buy a two-year bond. You're getting paid, basically, uh, for taking the additional risk of buying a longer-term bond. There's more uncertainty, so you get a higher yield. But last week, the yield on the five-year treasury was higher than the 10-year. Then on Monday, the yield on the five-year treasury was two basis points higher than the yield on the 30-year. And on Tuesday, we got an inversion between the two-year treasury and the 10-year treasury. The last time we saw this two-year, 10-year inversion was in August and September of 2019. At that point, it appeared the economy was slipping toward recession. As I remind you pretty much every week, that was when the stock market had tanked, the Federal Reserve had already cut interest rates and ended its balance sheet reduction. We'll never know if the economy would have slipped into a recession on its own. I think it would have, but we, we don't know because we got the coronavirus pandemic. And I really think that the pandemic saved the Fed's bacon. It really didn't have the ammo to fight a regular recession. It would have had a hard time justifying the extraordinary monetary policy that we've gotten over the last couple of years. The pandemic gave the central bank the excuse it needed to go nuclear with quantitative easing. It basically gave the Fed cover to blow air back into a bubble economy. It probably bought them a little more time to kick the can down the road a little bit further. Anyway, as Reuters reported, investors are worried about the economy. They are, quote, concerned that the Federal Reserve will dent growth as it aggressively hikes rates to fight soaring inflation, with price pressures rising at the fastest pace in 40 years. Now, I'm not quite so certain that we're going to have aggressive rate hikes, but any rate hikes are a problem in this economy. As I'm sure you are aware because you listen to this podcast, the Fed launched its war on inflation with a quarter point interest rate hike uh, at its March FOMC meeting last week. Um, or the week before last. Last week, Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell heated up his rhetoric and signaled the possibility of a 50 basis point hike at the next meeting. Now, the markets acted like this was, you know, a nuclear shot, but really it wasn't exactly shock and awe. I mean, even a 50 basis point uh, interest rate hike in the face of a 7.9% CPI, mm, not that impressive. But the markets are acting like this is the big deal. And the Fed's, you know, the Fed's at war with inflation. It's going for it. So the markets seem to think that the tightening is going to bring on a recession and that the Fed will go back to rate cuts in order to juice the economy back into shape. But somehow this will solve the inflation problem. Now, I actually think they've got part of this equation right. The tightening is going to bring about a recession. 
We're already seeing signs of it in the mortgage market. Mortgage rates just charted their biggest weekly rise in 11 years. Since January, mortgage rates have gone up nearly 1.5%. That's the fastest run-up in mortgage rates since 1994. Now, you'll not be shocked to learn that as these mortgage rates have spiked, we've also seen a big drop in mortgage applications. So this foreshadows a big slowdown in the housing market. This is a pin poised to pop a huge housing bubble. I think the real estate market will be one of the first things to crash as the economy starts to wobble under the pressure of these rate hikes. I'll link to an article in the show notes page that goes into more detail about the housing market. So yeah, these rate hikes are going to crush the economy. After all, it's an economy built on borrowing and spending. If you make it more expensive to borrow, you're going to put a squeeze on that economy. So the markets have that part right. But here's where I think they're wrong. They expect for things to work just like they always have. The recession will come, inflation will ease, and the Fed can go back to QE and low interest rates. And when it does, inflation will stay near that magic 2% target. That's basically what the yield curve is telling us. But remember, what causes rising prices? Inflation, money creation. So the markets are counting on the Fed being able to go back to an inflationary monetary policy, which it's not even really leaving an inflationary monetary policy, but let's pretend that it does. It's going to go back to this inflationary monetary policy without prices continuing to rise. I'm skeptical. In fact, I'm skeptical that they'll even be able to get rates high enough to dent inflation to begin with before they have to pivot back to rate cuts and QE. Remember the last time when the Fed got rates up to 2.5%, you know, the economy got all wobbly. We have 7.9% CPI as measured by the government's crappy formula. I'm not convinced the Fed can get to 1.5% interest rates this time before the whole thing collapses. That's not going to stop prices from going up, right? 1.5% isn't tight monetary policy. It's still accommodative. So it's still inflationary. So we'll still have rising prices. And what do we call rising prices in the midst of a recession? Stagflation. Now, maybe the recession will suppress demand enough that we will see some relief in prices. I'm not convinced, but maybe. But here's the thing. We'll still have inflation, right? Because remember what inflation means. Inflation is money printing, and that's exactly what the Fed's going to be doing. And at some point, the bottom is going to fall out of the dollar. And I've talked about this before. This is where we see the Fed backed into this corner. It can make the economy take the bitter medicine and press on with rate hikes even as the economy goes into recession. And Powell is saying now that he's going to do it, but I don't think he has the political will. But if if they do, if they press forward, if they hold their ground when the economy starts to shake, then they may buy even more time. But I don't think they'll do it. I think they'll go back to what they always know, what they always do. They'll go back to that playbook and they'll say, oh, we have a recession. We have to cut interest rates. We have to do quantitative easing. So we're right back to inflation. Uh, again, At some point, the bottom is going to fall out of the dollar. It's interesting. We've seen this starting to play out in the ECB in Europe. Uh, We've seen it playing out in Japan. Peter Schiff did two really good podcasts this week on what's happening overseas and how that kind of parallels what the Fed is facing. I'll link to both of those in the show notes page as well. So here's the question. What are you going to do? You know what the Russian people did when the ruble tanked earlier this month? 
They bought gold. They bought a lot of gold. Gold sales quadrupled in like two weeks. You know, it, it's funny because people always kind of look sideways at so-called gold bugs. You know, that term is supposed to be kind of a, a pejorative. You're a gold bug. You know, so that means you're a crank out of the mainstream, you know, maybe a conspiracy theorist. Just You're just not quite with the uh, hip, you know, mainstream if you're, if you're out there buying gold. But whenever there is a real crisis, the moment that real crisis hits, Everybody wants to have gold. So it seems to me it might be a good idea to have gold before the crisis. Because if you're buying gold in the middle of the crisis, you're going to be paying a lot more for that gold than if you have it today. I, I'm not a prepper, but I kind of am a prepper in, in the sense that I think it's wise to look forward, to think about what could happen in the future and be prepared for that. You know, I have a savings account in case uh, something breaks in my house. Uh, I buy gold. I have silver in case we have an economic collapse. I do the, I, I have a little extra food, a little extra water. I mean, I live in Florida, so we get hurricanes. It's important to be prepared. You don't want to be running out trying to prepare in the middle of the crisis. If you've ever been in uh, Florida, or I guess any coastal area, as a hurricane approaches, and you try to go to the store and buy something, it's absolute insanity. So you want to have all of that stuff, and you're going to pay more, right? So you want to have your stuff prepared before the crisis hits. That is why it's a good idea to have gold now. I'm not saying put all of your money in gold, but it needs to be part of your portfolio. It needs to be part of your investment strategy because there will be crises. And when there's crises, it will benefit you to have gold, silver, and other precious metals. So perfect time to talk to a shift gold precious metal specialist. You just call 1-888-GOLD-160 or you can shoot them an in, uh, in, and, uh, an email at info at shiftgold.com. Uh, you can even just go to one of the pages on uh, the Shift Gold website. If you go to the blog and click on one of the articles, you'll actually get a pop-up uh, where you can chat with one of our brokers right there on the website. So do it today. Just talk to them about your investment strategy, your portfolio, your goals, and they will help you understand how precious metals can fit into your particular situation. So do that today. So that is your gold wrap for this week. You can get more details on all of the stories that I've talked about and more simply by going over at shiftgold.com slash news. Uh, you'll find the show notes for this page at that website. Uh, if you haven't done it already, you can subscribe to the Friday Gold Wrap podcast uh, over at Apple Podcasts or on Stitcher or on the Shift Gold YouTube channel. You'll find links to all of this on the show notes page. You're welcome to email me, mmaharry at shiftgold.com, M-M-A-H-A-R-R-E-Y at shiftgold.com. Uh, last week, I got a nice email from a fellow that said he loved the music, so thank you. And uh, I appreciate hearing from you, so feel free to shoot me an email. I hope you have a fantastic weekend, and I will talk to you again next week.